tonight. Who is excited for tonight? Yes. 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 Kevin and I know just uh, from us, we have been waiting for this night for like months because we've known about this way before you guys. But we're super excited. Tonight is happening. Um, yes. And so if you are new tonight and you're like, why is there a table of four uh, men up here? Well, let me explain. Uh, this is our pastoral leadership, and uh, we're super excited to have them uh, tonight. And so we have been in a series called Table Talk, and the heart behind this series is that we uh, would walk through the series and answer questions uh, that you would casually have around a table, at coffee, etc. And so uh, this past month, we have gone through some uh, really great questions that some of our pastoral staff who is up here have uh, taught this month. And so tonight, you guys have submitted in questions for them to answer. And so we're going to do that tonight. Q and A. It's going to be yes. super exciting. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah, so uh, we're so stoked. And I, can I just, I just feel like I, I just want to do this. Can we just give God glory real quick? Can we just give him praise? Just wanna, can you give him a clap offering? Come on. Give him praise. Amen. So excited. We praise you, Lord. Um, well, I just have the honor. I, went, I was, I was going to introduce you guys, but actually, if y'all could just turn your mics on, I was thinking this. If you could, we'll start with, we'll start right here on, on my right, and we'll go to, to Tina. But if you uh, pastors could introduce yourself uh, your name and just your role here. So uh, your name and your role at, at, at Calvary Worship Center, as well as a very important question, what's your favorite cereal? Okay. So your name, your role here at Calvary, and then your favorite cereal. We'll start right here. Y'all give it up. All right. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just introduce okay. yourself. Yeah, we're uh, here. My name's, uh, sorry, I have like a little bit of a cold or no allergy attack, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> uh, my name is Shay Logan. I'm uh, over our life groups here at Calvary Worship Center uh, and just recently over our children's ministry um, and kind of just, um, what else? Yeah, I think school ministry. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, the big one. Yeah. yeah. yeah his, his, wife, his wife totally just helped him out. She's like, school ministry, yeah, babe. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, favorite cereal. I, I mean, the Reese's peanut butter. Cups, puffs, puffs. Thank you. Reese's puffs. Yes, Reese's puffs. That's probably, y'all. That's not. That's, I don't that's get a to good eat pick. it. I don't get to eat it very much anymore. But <laughs> it is good. That's, that's a good choice. Thank you, y'all. Give it up for Pastor Shay. <laughs> Next up, hey guys, I'm uh, Pastor Nathan, and I'm one of the executive pastors here, um, overseeing a bunch of stuff, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys, and I'm super excited. Um, my favorite cereal, I have to say, man, is she's. Uh, Frosted Flakes, probably. <laughs> <Frosted> <laughs> flakes. It was between you that and Captain Crunch, massive... you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, Frosted Flakes. There you go! <laughs> yes! Someone just said, for, yeah. for whoever's listening to the podcast, someone screamed in the background, they're great! So that was good. Y'all give it up for Pastor Nathan. Come on, y'all. So glad Tony the Tiger's here tonight, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm Pastor Al, senior pastor here, and um, I'm just I'm honored and blessed to be here with you guys. It's always inspirational. And um, let's see, my, my favorite cereal, uh, I had a bunch down through the years. Kind of graduated from Captain Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, yes. Fruit Loops, 
Okay, now I'm now that I'm older, more mature. Right, right. <laughs> it's a uh, raisin bran. There's some raisin bran fans yeah. right hey. here. There's a few. It's a few. I'm surprised. Yes. I'm surprised. All right. All y'all right. give it. Hey, all can y'all right. give it up for Pastor Al Pittman? Yeah. Well, hey man, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm also one of the executive pastor here. Uh, if you'll notice just by observation, I'm one of the only ones with hair. That's actually a good thing, you see? That's nice. So, yeah. That's <laughs> um, yeah, uh, been on staff for 15 years, serving under Pastor Al, and just seen a lot taking place here. So, um, I just do stuff here, and that, that's it. But um, love it. I love, I love serving here. God has done an amazing work. And even to see what's taking place here is awesome. Yes. We're excited for tonight. Amen. So I don't really do the cereal thing much anymore. But if I do, man, I'm going to have to just get that craving for some Lucky Charms, man. Lucky. I'm telling you. Yes. Lucky Charms, little marshmallows and stuff. I'm sorry, yes. man. It's sweet. It's bad. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. That's so good. I love, I'm a Lucky Charm fan. It is good. I like just eating the marshmallows and not the Me other too. The stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. Pick them out. Y'all give it up for Pastor Mark. Yay. Amen. Okay, so, uh, so check this out. Before we hop in, I just wanted to pray for our time together, and then we're going to hop right to our first question. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you right now, and we're so thankful, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. Thank you so much for loving us. And I tell you what, can we just say thank you, Jesus, out loud together, all together? Can we just say thank you, Jesus? We're so thankful, Jesus, for the sacrifice you've made for us. We're so, so thankful. God, I pray that as we continue in worship through your word and through talking uh, through these questions and diving into your word, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. God, help us to be receptive and attentive, God, to what you have to say. Um, and Everlast, as you know, I, I, we like to do this just, just, if, just right where you're at. Just pray this prayer. Say, God, would you speak to me tonight? Just right there in your heart. Just pray this to God. Say, ask him, will you speak to me tonight? And next, if, uh, if you could say that same prayer for the person on your left and right. Pray this. Say, God, would you speak to them tonight? And lastly, if you feel prompted, you can just reach a hand towards the stage. If you could just please pray for our pastors right now. Pray for Pastor Shea and Pastor Nathan, Pastor Al, Pastor Mark, and just pray a simple prayer for them. Say, God, would you use them to, to make things clear and helpful tonight? Amen. Well, Father, we love you, and we give you all the glory honor and praise. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. We're just going to hop right in, y'all. Amen. Let's do it. it. These questions all of you have submitted um, over this past few weeks, and we're going to start with the first question. This first question is this. This first question, I think we're going to give it to you, Pastor Nathan. (laughs) Yes, he rocked the fist. Here we go. Here's the question. Y'all ready? God is not only loving and kind, he is also mighty. 
powerful, and our sovereign king. Amen. With that being said, how should we pray to him? With more of a reverence or more of a father uh, to a daughter and son type relationship? Such a good question. Um, I want to go f- at this from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Um, and it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, this scripture is how I've defined my prayer life. Um, should we approach God as king? Absolutely. Um, but God's more interested in the posture of your heart. Sometimes we approach God from this place of, well, I got to use the right language. And I have to say, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, you go through the whole Catholic <laughs> thing, and, you know. And, and, and we think that if I do that, then God will hear me. We think that if, if, I, if I want God to really hear me, I have to be on my knees when I pray. You know, I have to be in a certain posture. I have to be inside a church building. You could be anywhere, and God will hear your prayer. Amen. That's the beautiful thing. And when you approach him in prayer, just be real with him. Because he can see behind the mask that we try to hide behind. Mm. He knows your heart for how it is. So just talk to him. Just be real with him. And, and yeah, you know, there's some people ask, like, well, how real should I be with God? As real as possible. Like, there have been times in my walk with God where I've, I've prayed and my, my, my language wasn't always as good as it could be in church. I'm just going to say that. But, but I was being real. And I'm being honest with God with how I felt and with how, what I was experiencing. Because I knew that God was more interested in the posture of my heart rather than the words that I used. Now, it doesn't mean that we just disrespect God. But when we come to him, he's interested in the realness, where you really are at. And when you pray to him, it's like, God, you're my heavenly father. You know me more than I could possibly know myself. And I just want to be real with you with where my situation is, with what I'm feeling. And I'm asking you to do something. That's, it's as simple as that. God's more re- interested in the realness of your heart than the words you use in your time of prayer. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. I love that you said uh, honesty. Um, and I think another great example of that, too, is like when we look in, uh, we go to the Psalms. And the Psalms are like, I love the Psalms when it looks, when you look at like even David's crying out to the Lord in prayer, just such a great example of like how we can go about um, prayer. And it is that, that honesty before the Lord. So yeah, it's really great. And any of the pastors, if y'all feel, if you feel led, just y'all can chime in and anything else as, as, as you feel led. But man, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing Pastor Nathan. Yeah. Anything yeah. else? Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, good response. Holy Amen. response. That's good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Nathan. That's great. Awesome. Well, we'll move on to the next question then. Um, this one I'm going to give to Pastor Al. So uh, here we go. Uh, super easy question. Are you ready? <laughs> how, uh, how can we have free will, but at the same time, predestination exists? Oh, yeah, that's real Told easy. You. <laughs> I couldn't explain that in 45 minutes, 45-minute teaching. But, um, let, let me just take a shot at it here. Um, free will is, I'll just say free will and predestination is really both uh, can be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, pointed out in Scripture. 
Both are supported by scripture. For instance, free will. Um, we'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Is this really booming? It is. is that me? Is it? Switch the mic if you want. No, this is good. This is good. I just want to make sure it was booming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you like the booming. Uh, <laughs> uh, the scripture says the Lord took the, uh, took the man and, and uh, Genesis chapter 2. If you're taking notes, verses 15 to 17. He took the uh, man and, uh, of course, created man from the earth, breathed into his nostrils. He became a living soul. And... Um, Showed him the tree of, of uh, tree of life and the tree of good and evil. He said, "Don't eat of this tree, and um, of the knowledge of good and evil." And uh, then he created Eve. And uh, Amen. And uh, no, <laughs> that was a joke. But he created Eve, and and Adam told Eve about what God said. And so Eve knew when the serpent came and said. You know, oh, you can eat of this. She said, hey, you know, if we eat of that tree, the Lord says we will surely die. He said, oh, you will not surely die. You know how the devil is. And so uh, my point there is all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, we find free will. Here's a tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Here's a tree of life. They had a choice. And then you look at the situation with Cain and Abel. Uh, we see free will. And I love what the Lord said to uh, Cain, Cain, you know, first murder, recorded human history, uh, killed his brother Abel. And um, he said, uh, the Lord came to Cain, who was upset about his brother. Anyways, I don't want to get into all of it. But the Lord said, why are you angry? I think God can say that to us some days, you know. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And so there, Cain had a choice. God's saying, why are you angry, man? You, you, know, <laughs> you know, just do the right thing. You'll be all right. And so he had a choice. Well, he chose the wrong thing, right? He killed his brother Abel. Um, free will with Israel entering the promised land. Uh, if you're, again, taking notes, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28. There, Moses told the children of Israel, when you go into the land, um, you can receive a blessing or a curse. There are two mountains in the land. In fact, we'll be talking about them in uh, Joshua chapter 8. One's called Mount Gerizim, and one is called Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim was a mount of blessing. Mount Ebal was a mount of curse and cursing. And God said, if you go in the land, you honor me keep my word, you'll be blessed. If you go in the land and do not honor me, you'll be cursed. So there you see free will in scripture. Uh, predestination, the Bible says that uh, God in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10 says that God knows the end from the beginning. So how does that all work? God knows the end from the beginning. Um, and yet at the same time, God has given us choice. Um, the Bible says that we are chosen before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. So I just wanted to give you, if you're taking notes, maybe you're not, but uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 about predestination. So there, you can prove both in Scripture. And uh, people wonder, well, you know, which is which? Is which? Um, at the same time, you know, uh, you can say, you know, there, you can see both in Scripture. Um, not, neither one is, is uh, one or the other. 
and this is where God is God and we're not, is that God is a God that, is all, that gives us free will, but he also predestines, and, and he, does, he does both of them. Um, uh, let's see. Let me, I want to make sure I'm going on my notes here and say everything I'm supposed to say. Um, think about it in this way. Um, when, I don't want to take up all the time, so just cut me off. Amen. I'm good still? If your father and mother, before they had you, most father and mothers who, you know, <laughs> want to have children, they predestined before you even were conceived that you would do the right thing, that you would have a healthy and prosperous life. No, I don't, I've never met a parent said, you know, I'm going to have this baby and I want this baby to be a bum. I want to be just a drug addict. I want a drug addict. I want a baby. You know, no, you, you so, so our parents, you know, and, and so, so the child is born and, and the child makes his own decisions, her, his or her own decisions. And, um, you know, and, and they may go off in a different direction. That's free will. But when that child repents, that child comes back home like the prodigal son, then that parent fully embraces them and they are fully in relationship with that parent, right? It's like, predest it's like uh, free will and predestination. Free will says I can, you know, go away from the Lord, but then, you know, if I come back to God, his predestination for me has never changed. So when I come back to him, I fall right in line with his will. And then you go, oh, God knew I was going to mess up and do this, and, and he knew I was going to come back. Well, yes, he, he, you could say that, but the reality is that you had to make the choice to come back. Here's, what, here's what's amazing about that. I want you to catch this. Hopefully nobody's really confused right now. Um, and that is that when you come back, even your parents are predestined you to have health and prosperity. When you come back to the Lord, you know, you fall right back in line in relationally with them where you're now back in a healthy and prosperous situation. I'm saying, okay? It's the way that, that's the way it is with the Lord. Where's the scripture uh, that proves that, Pastor Al? Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. Those who are called according to the purpose of God and who love God. Amen. And so even though I've been away from the Lord and I lived this crazy life, now I come to the Lord. All of a sudden, everything that was bad in my life, he turns around and uses it for good, for his glory and for our good. Amen? And so that's easy. You can say, well, God knew I was going to do that. No, it was your choice. But so, so the, the, the river of God's goodness, his, his predestined goodness for us never stops running. We just get out of it. But it's still there. And when you come back to him, it fall, it's all good. Wow. And, and so his, his predestined will, is what I'm saying, does, it never changes for us. Just like a father or mother's predestined will for their child to be healthy and prosperous never changes. And when we come back to the Lord, you know, that's when everything falls right back uh, into line um, uh, with, with God's will. God is he's a predestined God. And yet he gives, good, he gives free will even to the nations. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that why do the nations rage against the Lord and all of this? And then it says in Psalm 2 that God sits on his throne and laughs. Because here's the bottom line. Nations can do whatever they want to do, but God is going to have the final word. And everything that they're doing is working really toward his own predestined end. What is his predestined end? That Jesus Christ would come back to the world. And he will rule and reign on earth. So we're watching the Ukraine and we're watching China 
And if you know anything about prophecy, you know that a nation uh, by the name of Magog will be led down from by Gog down into Israel. We're talking about coming to the end of time, Armageddon, all that. That nation, the ancient name for that nation is, is, is Rosh, Rosh, and Rosh is Russia. And so I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine. I'm looking at what's going on with Russia. And then I look at, and that's, that's Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. I'm getting way out here now. And then, and then you have the, the kings from the east who will come across a dried up Euphrates River in the book of Revelation chapter 16. Who are the kings of the east? That's China. So I'm looking at things like the world's going crazy, but God is still in control. That's it, because his predestined will is going to be accomplished. In the meantime, he's given free will to each and every person. Proof text, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So in all of it, the craziness of it is that God is working everything out for his good, not only for the end times in the direction of the world, the world history, but even in your life, Romans 8, 28. I was going to say some other things, but I'm running out of time. And anyway, hopefully you're not all thoroughly confused right now. Gosh, I, I, that was awesome. And, and I love all that. Can we just say amen to that? I think that's so helpful. Um, thank you, Pastor Al. I mean, all the scriptural context to, yeah, that, that, like Tina said, that was the easiest question. So, uh, <laughs> no, thank you so much. Um, that, <laughs> and yeah, you, 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 that definitely can be, a, 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 gosh, an entire series, let alone a certain, you know, so thank you, Pastor Al, super helpful, um, amen. Anything else y'all would add to that, and, or, or we can move on? There's a lot you can add to that, but we should <laughs> move on. Okay, let's move on, okay, we'll move on. <laughs> thank you so much, Pastor Al. Okay, so let's go to the next question. Uh, this is going to be for you, Pastor Mark, all right? So here's the next question asked by you guys, here we go. Based off Pastor Mark's teaching, which he taught not last week but the week before, um, is baptism of the Holy Spirit a one-time thing? If we need a refill of the Spirit daily, what is the difference of being refilled and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, amen. Whoever asked that question, that's, that's a great question, and I love this question. Um, as a matter of fact, just kind of reviewing it just to make sure I'm answering it correctly— I was actually looking up some things again, and it just made me realize that there's a lot of confusion about this topic of, you know, receiving the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, and having the power from on high, all these things. So uh, depending on how you're viewing Scripture, some people take it way differently. Um, I've come to know that Calvary Chapel is, uh, has a lot of a different uh, interpretation than pretty much modern Christendom, I would say. But it's based on Scripture because all the other commentaries that I looked up, they, they mentioned nothing of the things that we've been taught according to the Scriptures. So and to, try to, to try to clarify uh, all of that, um, uh, all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Boom. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Till the day of redemption, the Lord's going to take you home in that day. You are his son, you are his daughter. The Spirit of God resides in you. And it's a beautiful thing, actually. Um, actually, it, it manifests in so many different ways. And so, 
uh, it's kind of hard to say, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a one-time thing? I say it's kind of confusing because it depends on what you think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is based on time. So dispensation of, are you referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as when you first got saved? Or are you referring to uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the filling of the Spirit that's later on down the line? And my conclusion is based on Scripture, um, well, I'll try to explain that right now. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It really means to be one who submits to the power of the Spirit every day in your life. You're filled with the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. Amen. He resides in you. You're a son or daughter of God. And when you remain in the Spirit, it is a beautiful thing. Okay? You, you obey the Lord. You're not led into sin or all these other things. You, you're wanting to walk with the Lord. It's an ongoing experience. So, to be filled with the Spirit is uh, sometimes, I guess it manifests in an experiential renewal. So if, if, I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I receive the Holy Spirit and I'm walking, there are times you're walking through life that you just maybe don't sense the presence of God in your life, okay? Or maybe you sin because the Bible says yet you're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says not to quench the Holy Spirit. By the very mention of that means that you're doing something that's in offense to the Spirit of God. So, thus the need for a filling of the Spirit. That would be one of the reasons why I would say that. So, to, to get back into continued obedience unto the Lord, okay? So, that's good. Um, the Spirit also provides us, we see in Scripture, with boldness. To be an effective witness. And that's where... Uh, some of these other commentators that I've read on, they don't really mention that so much. They say, yeah, we're baptized, we're, we have one baptism in Christ, amen. But what I see in Acts, if you have your Bible, you guys have your Bibles with you? Turn to Acts chapter 1 real quick. Of course you know the scripture. And this is where I believe the term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes from. Because, you know, if we're going to have to define the term, let's define it from here. <clears throat> So in chapter 1 of Acts, check this out. Um, obviously, Jesus died and he rose again. And he was speaking to the disciples and he was going to be departing. But he says this amazing truth in verse 5. John truly baptized with water. That's referring to water baptism, correct? Water baptism. But he said, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that term, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, comes from this term here. Now, why I think it's, it's a little bit confusing is because back in Acts, I'm sorry, in, in um, Luke chapter 24, um, he said, tarry in Jerusalem. In John chapter 20, here's an amazing thing to you. you got to go there, please. John chapter 20, and I won't go as long as Pastor Al, but I promise. So, <laughs> uh, John chapter 20, check this out. If he says you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is, it, is there something else uh, that they received prior to that? In John chapter 20, and it says it right in, let me get to that verse, I'm sorry. It says, in, I'll take it from verse 21. As, after he rose from the dead and he appeared to them in the room, he said, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I, I believe that that's when the disciples actually were considered born again. Because they walked with Jesus, and now they see the risen Lord. And they believed upon the risen Lord. Amen? And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they received the Spirit. 
But he said, not many days from now, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why would we need that if we've already had the Spirit in us? That's kind of the question, right? Well, he's with us. He seals us. We belong to him. But why would we need that power, that baptism, that daily filling? Well, I already mentioned, for obedience, right? To continue with the Lord, okay? But especially back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 now. It's for power. Power. Okay? So he says in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world, basically. Uh, the end of the ages. How powerful that is. Because we, what we see take place right now uh, is an amazing thing. In the book of Acts, and I just found this out today, Pastor. Amazing. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I knew in Acts chapter 2. But I never knew that there were three outpourings. In Acts chapter 2, it's to the Jews and the proselytes. In Acts chapter 8, it's to the Samaritans, the half-breeds, if you would. And in Acts chapter 10, it's to the house of Cornelius, to the Gentiles. Oh, wow. So, and, and Paul, sorry, Peter was at all three of those. Though he witnessed all three of those. And it all happened in a different way. Sometimes they got saved, then they got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they said, you know what, hey, let's get water baptized. Sometimes it just happened in different orders. So there, you don't want to put a label on it, but what I do need, know you need to know is that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're in obedience to God, you're empowered by God, you're strengthened by God, you know how to walk. So there's the indwelling of the Spirit when you receive Him, and then there's the, there's the filling of the Spirit that we constantly need to be renewed in the Lord every day, every three weeks, whatever it may be. So when you walk in the Spirit, you don't obey the lust of the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, you produce fruit, Amen. healthy fruit to the glory of God, and it blesses everybody else. Amen. So I love it. So the last thing I'll leave you with is this. In uh, Luke chapter 11, I believe it's verse 11, where we're told to ask. If you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, he will freely give it to you. Mm. I think that in this day and age, and maybe pastor you guys can ask, add to this, there's a lot of people who don't understand the need of the Holy Spirit, that you're a child of God, and the need to be filled to continue walking in the Spirit. And a lot of Christians are powerless. For one thing, they don't pray or read or they don't abide. So I would say if you feel like you need to be filled with the Spirit or you want to continue, or just you need a touch of the Lord, then ask them to fill you. Amen. The term could be baptize me. The term can be indwell upon me. Whatever it is, the term, it doesn't matter. You just need the Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So I tried to explain it that way. So. Amen. 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 It's really good. Um, okay. Oh, I got one more verse. One you more do. Verse. Go for it. Ephesians 5.18. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, I feel compelled by the Spirit to say this. Good, good. Do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Spirit. spirit Don't amen. confuse the Spirit with the worldliness or spirit of something else. Make sure you're in the Spirit. Amen. 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 Um, okay, moving on to the next question uh, that was submitted by you guys. Uh, Shay, Pastor Shay, this one's for you. How can you say there's only one true faith? 
Yeah. How? Oh, it keeps going. <laughs> I was just ready. You were excited. I'm ready. Go. You were excited. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to wait ready. for the long-winded guys. I'm like, totally. <laughs> yeah. Four pastors on stage. It's it's lucociousness is gonna happen. Yeah. Long-winded. There there is a uh, there is more to this question. Okay. Yes. How can you say there's only one true faith? Yeah. How do you in love tell people of who believe in something else that Christianity is the only one true faith? Yeah, great, great question. Amen. And I think there's something really phenomenal and foundational about this. The great news about the answer is we didn't say it. We believe it, but God is the one since the beginning of, of uh, speaking to man said, I am God. And we have Exodus uh, chapter 20, and he says this in verse uh, 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And then in verse three, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And so we see God determining who he is. He is God. We are not supposed to have any uh, before him. But then Jesus comes on the scene and then speaks this relationally as well um, in John 14, six. And for time's sake, just write that verse down. I'm not going to read it, but it's a reference point of how Jesus communicated this relationally. And to really answer this question, I think we have to go to, well, what do we believe after looking at Scripture, after hearing from God, and then seeing Jesus expound on this relationship? Well, what do we believe when we're thrown with this question? How do we communicate that we have the one true faith? And so, well, what do you believe? And um, do you believe that eternity awaits those who believe in Jesus Christ? And so if you would answer yes, and we would all answer up here yes, we would come to the conclusion that if we know that the only way to heaven, to eternity with God, is through Jesus, and we realize that is the way because God was so clear in that, then we have to look at, wouldn't it be actually evil to allow someone to think for a second that they would achieve that same heaven apart from Jesus? And so that's what we have to begin to think is going, what do we truly believe about Christianity, Christ, God. And if it is that through him we experience when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior eternity, then we can't flirt with the idea and thought that Jesus was a liar. And we, it's actually evil to go, you know what? Your way of thinking, your way of doing is actually leading you to the same heaven. When we see scripture, it's very clear that it isn't. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we're thinking about this question, you need to have a personal relationship and you have to come to the conclusion, well, what do I believe? And like I said, if it is that Jesus is the way to heaven, then it's actually evil to allow somebody to think anything different than that. And so I also have to say that we've gotten this very mixed up. You know, as I was thinking about this question this morning, this amazing image came in my head and it's hilarious. We've gotten really mixed up. We think our responsibility is like captain save the heathens. Like, I don't know if you remember like those old, I don't know, man, maybe Pastor Al growing up or uh, <laughs> like respect. Nice. Yeah, like the I Love Lucy, you know, when they would get home, he would take off his jacket and yeah, and like, <laughs> this thought came in my head. We think that we have to be captain save the heathens. And when we come home to our wife that Hey, babe, how many heathens did you save today? Well, I saved 30, and we, we feel so good. But really, this is such a relational thing that we are supposed to have in our belief system is that, hey, if we believe that Jesus 
belief in him is sending us to heaven, then everything else would determine that people aren't going to heaven if they don't have a belief in him. And it's really not, are we saving the heathens, but are we being relational with that very truth that God has given us? Um, and so, and it's really out of love that we share that truth, that Jesus is saving people from their ultimate 100% death in hell. We know that to be apart from God is to be separated from forever. And so we do need to understand of what do we actually believe. And so the second part of this question is, well, how do we tell others in love? Well, here it is. Live it. Live it. And realize this, and this is a foundational thing about Christianity, and I hope you guys know this. Even though it's really important to think certain things, but realize if you live it, you have to understand that it is not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about Pastor Alan, Nathan, or Mark, or Tina, and Kevin. It's about glorifying God. It's nothing about us. And so God declared it, as we have seen in Scripture, we have the opportunity to live it boldly. Did you know that? I hope you do, because that's what's so exciting about Christianity, is that God declared it, we live it boldly. And so I want to challenge you with this. The way that you tell people about the great news and love of Jesus Christ is here's the thing. You invite them into the area that's most vulnerable in your life. And here it is. I don't know if you guys have been walking with Christ. We've been walking with Christ for a while. I have never been more vulnerable when I read the word of God. And I, and I get convicted by the Holy Spirit. Allow people to see that. That's the authenticity of Christianity. Is when we allow the word of God to convict our hearts. And instead of hiding our sin, we actually let it be known in order that God would get the glory. Invite people to see how vulnerable you are before a holy God. And then they'll realize the authenticity, the reality of how great it is to have a relationship with Jesus. The one true God. And so invite people to see your vulnerability. It's important, okay? And here's the thing. When they ask, like, what's going on in your life? I see a change in you because you're so vulnerable. I see things that I've never seen before different in your life. Tell them. Share it with them. Be honest. Don't be afraid. You know, I'm always reminded of the thief on the cross. And if you guys haven't heard it, it's just a great representation of God's love. Is There's two thieves next to Jesus, and one completely denies him, and one says this thing, you don't deserve to be up here. We do. And he was willing to say that in the midst of being up on a cross. Like, have that boldness. Wow. To say, you know what? Jesus is real, and he's changing my life. And don't be afraid of what man thinks of you. Be more concerned about what your holy God has said in order that we would live for him. And a great resource that I want to live with you guys, leave with you guys when I say come to reality what you believe, we have to de- determine who Jesus is. And Sean McDowell wrote a really good book called More Than a Carpenter. And so you can write that down, Sean McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. And he, con- he leaves the opportunity for you to make a decision about Jesus. And he says, well, Jesus either has to be a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord of your life. You only can take him one of those ways. <laughs> and if Jesus is Lord, then everything he says is true. And then we, have, we are responsible now 
for that very thing I said, that it's actually evil to allow someone think that they're going to receive the blessing of eternity with God by walking away from him down a different path. And so that is how we say, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, but he loves you, but I don't want you to be deceived, and you have to make this decision for yourself. But I'm going to show you what it's like to live for Jesus by just walking through life, and you'll make mistakes, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but be vulnerable before someone and let them see that you absolutely 100% believe in God, but you have to really know what you believe. So hopefully that's kind of answered that question. Can we say amen to that? (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much, Pastor Shea. Thank you so much for for answering that question. Uh, we, We do have five questions left, so my pastor's... Six. Oh, we have six left. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, we're going to put up maybe a little little pep in our step, you know, uh, and, you know, if, if, if you can. You asked us. We all got wind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And so, by the way, listen, just to say the quick aside, y'all, these are your, these are your pastors, and they're here for you. We're all here for you. So this, these questions aren't just for tonight. Come find us. We love to talk through these things, and we're here for you. These pastors are here for you. We are here for you to, uh, to help answer the questions, to point you to Jesus, and look at what the Word of God has to say. So amen. This isn't just a tonight thing, but we do have got to go on. Here we go. Next question is for Pastor Nathan. Is ment- it's a big one. It's a big one. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, so here we go. Is mental or verbal abuse grounds for divorce? This is, this is the trick question that y'all gave me. Y'all trying to get my job taken away up here. It was Kevin. <laughs> giving me this question. Oh, man. Um, the, the answer to this is, is, is interesting because a lot of times when we think about divorce, we think about it from this place of, you know, we think about it from this place of, like, what, what can I do to, that would cause a divorce? Um, or, or, or even when we look at Scripture and we see in Malachi 2.16, it talks about that God hates divorce. Right. And then we look in Scripture and we see where it says, you know, the only uh, grounds for divorce is sexual morality or if someone abandons, you know, the marriage. And, and sometimes we, we look at those and we go, okay, well, those are the only two, you know, ways that, that divorce is okay. But the truth is, is that God hates all divorce. Whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's verbal or mental abuse, he hates all of it. He, he doesn't approve of any of it. It grieves his heart. But the thing is, is that as we look at this, divorce is something that's very real in the church. Um, it's it's in, in a lot of ways sad to say that 50% of divorces in our world happen from in the church. So it's not something that we look at and go, okay, well, how can I get away with divorce? Divorce is something that God absolutely hates in all of its forms. But in the reality that we live in, where divorce is very present, even in the church, how do we approach that? Now, again, divorce is something that should be a very, 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 very last option. Um, if you're dealing with some kind of abuse, any kind of abuse, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's verbal, emotional, whatever it is, that should be addressed. When you, when you are married to someone who is abusing you in some way, that should, there should be a moment in your marriage where you come to that person and say, 
this cannot happen anymore. This is not acceptable in our marriage. That, 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 is, that is the first step. That has to happen. And a lot of times that takes a lot of prayer, that takes a lot of encouragement, that takes church community where, where they can pray for someone and encourage someone and say, hey, if that's happening at home, you need to have that initial conversation and say, this cannot happen anymore. Now, if, if, that, if you have that conversation and it continues to happen, from that point on, you go right there to Matthew 18 and you get the church involved. And you go to a trusted pastor and you say, hey, I've talked to my spouse and they are continuing to do this abuse. You know, I, I've, I've, I've talked to them. Can, can you talk to them? Can we meet? Can we at least do some kind of reconciliation? Um, from that point, if, if that abuse continues, uh, counseling needs to be a part of that. There needs to be counseling. Um, and even from there, if, if the abuse continues, then you separate. There's grounds for separation where you come to your spouse, you say, hey, I have, I've talked to you and told you that this can't happen anymore. I've brought in pastoral leadership and you still are choosing to do this. I've, I've, I've even brought up counseling and you don't want to do this. We need to separate until you choose to walk in, in what God says a marriage should be because God lays out how a marriage should act, where, where Jesus acts as the husband to the church who loves who loves the church unconditionally. Mm -hmm. There should be an unconditional love and even a mutual submission between husband and wife in the marriage. So abuse is not a part of that equation. But when, when, when there is abuse, that means that someone in the marriage is not fulfilling what God has destined for marriage. And so the reason why I, I'm going through these is because I know that the way that we look at divorce is always from this place of, well, is divorce always the, f the first option? Absolutely not. Divorce is the very last thing, and, and even when divorce happens, the reason why I lay out these steps is so that there's a history of fighting for the marriage. It's not, divorce is not and should never be something that is the first option, because no matter how broken a marriage is, no matter the things that happen in a marriage, even, in, uh, even when someone cheats on somebody in the marriage, God is able to restore that marriage. There are marriages in our church today whose marriages have been restored with infidelity, whose marriages have been restored even from drug abuse, addiction, even abuse. God is able to restore even the most broken marriage. There is no such thing as a marriage that is so broken that God can't fix it. But unfortunately, when, some, when divorce happens, it grieves God's heart in all of its forms. So there's never, there's never a... An, an example of, well, which form of divorce does God approve of? He approves of none of it. But he knows that as sinful human beings, as finite beings, he knows that, just like we talked about free will, sometimes we're going to go down that road. But if you do, it, there should be a history of fighting for that marriage. Because God's able to restore. Especially if you are a believer in Jesus. If both y'all believers... And both y'all claim to know Jesus, you should both be submitting to Christ first, and that should happen in your marriage as well. That's why I'm going to say, say this, but that's why it's so important that you are not unequally yoked. Yeah. I know that ain't popular, but when you're unequally yoked, you have a different mindset than your unequally yoked spouse who doesn't know Jesus. So you may be trying to follow the Lord, but you're, you're never really going anywhere in your marriage because they're on a different page than you are. They serve a different master. 
That's why it's so important that you both know the Lord and that you're growing in your walk with him. And then I'll, I'll, I'll end by saying this. If divorce happens, does that mean that God is done with you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Divorce is, is sin, just like lust is a sin, just like lying is a sin, just like pride is a sin. It's all sin in God's eyes. And in the same way as we look at 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Meaning that when we go to God and say, God, I didn't plan for this to happen in my marriage, but it happened, God. God still wants to use you. God still has breath in your lungs. He still has a calling on your life. Just because you get divorced doesn't mean that it's over and God is, is, is done with you. Because some of the things that we've seen even on this stage is that we've seen that even some couples who've gotten divorced, God restores their marriage. As both of them are seeking the Lord for themselves and walking after him. So all that to conclude, divorce should never, ever be the first option. There should be an investment in the marriage. There should be an investment of regaining trust. There should be counseling. There should be conversation. There should be boundaries set up. But if those things don't work, a time of separation, and if separation happens and there's still no change, and if divorce happens, then continue seeking the Lord and let him take care of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, y'all can clap for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big question. Yeah. It is. Okay, um, I am going to give this next question to Pastor Al. Okay. Right. Uh, this is a question that uh, I'm going to preface, preface a little bit. This is a question that I personally have gone to Pastor Al a, a couple times, and I think actually every pastor should you, here. Should you divorce stage. Kevin? Is that no, 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 no. <laughs> we just talked about Yeah. I learned from what Nathan said. I learned from what Nathan said. Um, no, I have, uh, I've, I've approached Pastor Al many times on this question, uh, mainly because at Everlast, um, I teach at Everlast, and there are guys present in the room, and so this was a question that came in. Uh, I've approached, uh, uh, Pastor Al on this a couple times, and, uh, this is the question would love for him to respond. So can women teach men? And, uh, example of that is should a woman be able to teach in a ministry setting like this with guys present in the room? Um, and then the other question to that is, uh, can women be pastors? What does the Bible say about this? See, I got all the easy ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, can women teach men? Yes. My wife teaches me all the time. Anyway. <laughs> That's a good answer. Amen. <laughs> can women teach men? Um, we're talking about can, can women lead a church or what have you. Uh, in the context of a church, I'm going to keep this short. Um, there are a couple of people in the Old Testament. God has used women. If it wasn't for women in the church, it wouldn't be a church. I'll just say that. And um, God has used women in a powerful way. Uh, people like Deborah or Deborah, uh, who judged Israel, Judges chapter 4, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, a woman by the name of Huldah. Huldah was a prophetess. And, um, of course, Philip, I think his three daughters were all prophetess in the New Testament. And... Um, so women have been used mightily by God. All, both of these women, Huldah and Deborah, and Deborah, in the Old Testament were married. Acts chapter 18, uh, Quilla and Priscilla. Um, Paul Apollos, who was a very uh, learned guy, very educated guy, who was teaching the word, but he was a little bit incorrect. And Aquila and Priscilla, their husband and wife, pulled him aside 
and they taught them. So husband and wife team was teaching another brother and correcting him in the Lord so that he could be more effective uh, with the word of God. Um, uh, in God's system of covering, um, it's, it's, not, it's not rank of who's better than the other, but it's, it's a really a system of covering, uh, covering for authority or, or uh, uh, covering of authority. First uh, Corinthians talks about the system, if you will, this, this uh, order. And Paul says, now I want you to uh, realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And uh, think about that. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Um, what he's talking about is an order of covering. Even Christ is under God. In other words, he's submitted to the Father, and man ought to be submitted to Christ, and of course, woman ought to be submitted to Christ. But as far as the covering, a man in his home ought to be a covering of authority for his wife um, within, within the home. So it's not, it's not a, you know, people hate the, you know, uh, today hear the word submission, but we're all supposed to be submitted to the Lord. And um, a woman is to be submitted to her husband, uh, respect her husband. That's a great word, respect. Um, and um, the man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. It's, it's a mutual thing, and it's a mutually edifying thing. It's not one better than the other, even though the world tries to twist it. But the reality is that Jesus Christ was, <laughs> was, was totally pro-woman. I mean, he was radical. Um, uh, the things he did, the woman at the well, talking to her and all, Men didn't do that. Women were more like property until Jesus came on the scene wow. on the face of the earth. Wow. And he changed all that, really did. And so he treated women as equals. And so none of this is, is talking about treating anybody less than you. It's a covering of protection, and it's an order uh, for, of, of, of authority and also in, uh, uh, just to have order in the home. Uh, but it's a covering of affection and, and, um, and all. But um, Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verses 28, 29, says that in the last days God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and that happened in Acts chapter 2, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will uh, 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 dream dreams, and your old men will see visions, and upon your maidservants and his male servants, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So women are filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the, 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 in the New Testament. They can prophesy. They can speak the word of God. So what about speaking the word of God in context of the church? Well, uh, in context of the church, I believe the Bible clearly teaches, and there's a lot that said be said on this, but I'm just going to, I'm, I'm hurrying up. And that is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that a bishop, a pastor, uh, um, is to be the husband of one wife. Nowhere in the Bible do you see where it says that a pastor is to be a wife, the wife of one husband. So right there is a clear distinction that a pastor uh, is supposed to be, you know, a position for men. Not that men are better, but again, just even historically, we see where God has called man out to be the spiritual leader. Uh, and so we see that even in uh, uh, the Garden of Eden when God came in and Adam and Eve sinned. He never, he didn't say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? Because wow. Adam, you're responsible. And so male leadership is important in the church. Uh, in, in that regard. Now, I've met women who said, you know, they're pastor, pastor so-and-so. You know, I don't just uh, slap them like Will Smith did, uh, what's his name, the other night. I don't, 
You know, I don't do that. I just, I, I just, I can, I, you know, it's great to meet you. God bless you. It's, it's, you're not, you don't lose your salvation right, or anything right. like that. Uh, we don't agree maybe on that point, but I don't make an issue out of it. Right. Um, because to me, that's, that's their conviction. And they're walking in a conviction and they have to answer unto the Lord. But I, as I understand scripture, uh, you can uh, serve, uh, I mean, a pastor is, is to be a husband of one wife. Now, can a woman serve in this capacity like with Kevin and Tina? Uh, the answer is sure, because Tina is under authority. Not only is she serving with her husband, she has the authority from her senior pastor to do what she's doing. She's not without covering. She's not out here, you know, just kind of lone ranger, a rogue out here, started her own thing or whatever. Uh, she's under submitted to authority, and it's good to be submitted to authority. You know, we, uh, we, we submit to authority in society, to the police and all this, so that there's order and everybody's mutually edified. This is the reason for God's order in, in the house of God. Uh, so she's fine. Uh, what she's doing, she can teach. Now, there's, I've seen people take this to the extreme of women cannot teach men. And if a man walks in a room, I know this woman used to do this at a, a women's conference. She'd be teaching women, and a man would walk in the room, she stopped teaching. That's the extreme. I, I think that's, that's pharisaical. pharisaical. It, is, it, is, it is legalistic. Um, I, I think that's taking it way to the extreme. That's not what it means. Because, again, Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife, taught Apollos how to more correctly preach the gospel. So uh, what she's doing is completely fine. Amen. 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 Wow. Great. Amen. Thank I, you, just Pastor for the, Just for the record, I did not put that question in there. That's good. No, that was awesome. Thank you, yeah. Pastor Al. Hallelujah. Um, next question. We're going to blow and go. Here we go. For you, Pastor Shea. Um, is smoking weed a sin? If it is, what if I don't stop? All right. <clears throat> so... If you the don't stop, you get stoned. Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a dad joke if I've ever heard hey. of it. That's that's that he answered the question. Yeah. So <laughs> the the answer to this is no and yes. Um, and so first and foremost, we have to look at it this way. For the believer, that's someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's, right. that's the determination here yes. that we're going to go from for a believer. Um, we must look to this aspect of Christian liberties, okay? Um, and it's going to guide, I guess, the answer to this question. And so Paul David Tripp says this about Christian liberties, and it's this, is that they can mean that a Christians are freed to such activity that is not expressly forbidden in the Bible. Therefore, one can feel free to engage in such activity as long as it doesn't stumble or offend another Christian. Mm. And so we do have Christian liberties. Now, I would say no and yes for this instance. If someone has a medical condition, it, it, it would, and we kind of talked about this earlier, that it, it wouldn't be wise of us to say, yes, you're sinning because of your medical condition. Um, and that's where I would say no, but... In this, I would say yes, in that as Christians, as believers, when we look at anything that we are abusing or using for anything that is maybe not, again, for a medical reason, and it, it, 
therefore stumbles somebody else, then we have to look at it, yes. If we look at smoking weed, we would look at it, if it's stumbling a fellow brother and sister in Christ, then yes, we are sinning. And you can go to Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, talks about this specifically, verse 13. Right. And so, well, well what do we do? Well, my answer to this question would be live a life of discipline. That's what it's really about. And I'll, I'll just share a story. My wife and I, we were at Calvary Santa Fe running a multi-site. And there, yeah, I forgot you were there for a second. Um, but we had a gentleman at our church, and they were passionate about the Lord. But they sold uh, and smoked marijuana. And it was always a point of contention between us because I believed what he was doing was stumbling fellow believers. But he refused uh, to submit to that. And again, just as Pastor Al said, we didn't smack, we didn't do anything. We allowed him to have his conviction, but he knew the truth of what I spoke based upon this text in, in Romans that you were causing your fellow brother and sister in Christ to stumble over marijuana. Now, in New Mexico at this time, it wasn't legal. And so we're even looking at that. But again, just remember Christian liberties uh, in reflection of this question and live a life of discipline. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 is the reference text. And so out of Galatians 5, 13, we could really ask the question, what are we missing out on when we are disciplined people? Like, could it be possible that God actually has something better for you than what you're unwilling to give up? God could absolutely have something you couldn't even possibly imagine, but because you're unwilling to be disciplined in an area, you won't receive it. And so we would encourage you as a staff to live a life of discipline. Like, but you can have conversations about those things you struggle with. Like, I understand it. We get it. We're not, you know, but, but understand that God has called us to something so much greater than anything the world has to offer. Yeah, that's right. So we'd encourage that's you right. to do that. Um, one last thing. Let me see. Oh, actually, that was my last statement. That was what I wrote down. But just want to encourage you guys in that great question. Hopefully that brought clarity. And if I, I just thank you. That's so good, Pastor Shea. Thank you. And I, it reminds me of, I mean, just, the, uh, yeah, well, I mean, one of the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And it gets down to like what, because you're, you're worshiping God or something else. And I, yeah. Yeah, and I'd even say, and Pastor Mark was like, why would you get this question? When I was in high school, like my, like I, you know, my mom caught me and I was terrified (laughs) and I never did it again. (laughs) So like if that was my reaction, when my mom caught me and, and again, like God hasn't been like, don't smoke, you know, but at the same point, again, anything that's dishonoring to God, he already sees. Right. So that's like, I was fear of my mom. We should have that fear of the Lord, like, Lord, am I outside of your will? And just because, again, I know that it's just, it's hard because it's a cultural question and you can offend somebody, but just be honest that you'd rather be disciplined in what God's called you to do yeah. rather than have this freedom that is causing your fellow brother and sister in Christ to stumble. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Uh, we have, pastors, seven minutes. We got three questions. We can do it. Here we go. Uh, Pastor Mark, this one's for you. Uh, I have a hard time understanding the Bible, especially the Old Testament. 
I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help, but I still struggle to understand if I'm reading the word correctly in the context it was meant to be read. What should I do? Amen. Uh, I think that's probably this is the most important question, actually, um, because with all the, all the questions that uh, preceded this, um, if you don't know the Word of God, you can't answer these questions, <laughs> right? So you have to really know. I can really identify with this because of the last question. I was a pothead for eight years, and when I got saved and I started to read the Bible, I had no idea what I was reading. I was clueless, and even in the New Testament. It probably would help if I didn't read the King James Version, because <laughs> I was like, verily, I went, ha-ha, you know? I, and I didn't understand it, you know? I was a party animal, and I got saved. But I know I wanted Jesus. I know I wanted to understand his will for my life, because I said, Lord, take it all away and give me your word. So every day that I would read, I could be like three chapters and like no comprende, you know? It did not sink in. So I, 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 I realized I was not taken in, so I, I would close my Bible and I would pray, Lord, give me understanding. Give me comprehension. Give me, uh, 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 what's the other word? I wrote it down. Uh, oh, retention, retention, to be able to hold it because yeah, I just lost it. Yeah. Retention. <laughs> that, thing, that thing came back to me. <laughs> and, and I had this picture that every day I would start reading the word. Even though I didn't get it, sometimes I would just keep going. It's almost like the Lord threw a rope around my waist and pulled me in. Every page I turned, he's pulling me in. The scripture says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. To you. So I want to start with this. you got to have the desire. You can't read like three verses and say, I don't know what that means, and close it, you know, and then, and then give up. you got to earnestly hunger for it. Lord, speak to me. Say that with me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Okay? I only heard Al say that. Thank you. That's why you're a pastor. You guys, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak. Come on now. Amen. Amen. And so we want to understand. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. Old Testament. What version are you in? I want to show, uh, say this. Probably the key thing is to have a close walk with Jesus. If you know the story in Luke chapter 24... Uh, where the two men on the road to Emmaus were walking with the resurrected Lord, and they didn't even know it. It says, it says that at the beginning, Jesus uh, spoke, uh, spoke at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets. Old Testament, right? He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, which is amazing. They're like, oh, Jesus is teaching them. They still didn't get it. When was it revealed to them? When they were intimate with it, when they... When they had communion, and he broke the bread, and he blessed it, and their eyes were open. So who reveals it? Jesus reveals it when you're intimate with him, yeah. when you're close to him. So keep that in mind. Second thing I would say, uh, ask, seek, knock, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, right? Yeah. So just keep asking, yes. and the Father will give you that understanding. Use a good study Bible. I would say this. When I got saved, I wanted just to know. Probably the best resource I had then was the John MacArthur Study Bible. And that thing is powerful, man. Don't agree with everything, but it is pretty right on. Uh, and I just, I just love what it did for me. For one thing, it has a table of contents for a whole book. And you go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Then you dive into a section. The other thing that you could do is look at the actual commentary in there to help guide you along. So I have just as much markings in my commentary in that Bible than I do even even the scriptures because I'm just trying to take it in. And then lastly, I would say uh, challenge yourself to look up cross-references in the Bible. 
Man, it does wonders for you. The Holy Spirit will take you on a journey for hours and you get lost, but you're taking in and you start getting understanding. So, the end, it's it's just you got to be consistent. You just got to keep reading and taking in the word and asking the Father. He will reveal it to you. I've been with the Lord for 30 years. That's why I know what I know now. But I remember um, going to a Bible study maybe like three months into the Lord. I studied all of Romans chapter 10. And all the people that were at this Bible study at the time were maybe like 55, 60, my, my age, whatever. And I was like, ooh, now I know the word. I know the word. So when I go to the Bible study, I can contribute. And when we went and they started talking about it, I was like, I was out in left field. I was so far off. I did not get it. I was around other men who knew the word of God, who helped guide me and give me the sense. So be around people who can mentor you, coach yeah. you, guide you. Listen to podcasts. You know, different studies. It's out there, Amen. but just keep seeking the Lord. He will give you understanding. Amen? That's right. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you. Okay, guys, two more. Uh, this has been so good. Here we go. Pastor Nathan, this is for you. Um, here we go. Is it really once saved, always saved? Can you lose your salvation if you continue to keep running after the same sin? Um, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to go there, uh, verse 15 through 16 talks about that, you know, for we do not receive uh, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness uh, with, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. When you get saved, you're adopted into God's family. And no matter how much sin you commit, God is never going to disown you. His adoption of you is permanent. Come on. Now, when we talk about is, are you, is it, are you, when you get saved, are you always saved? Sometimes that question is asked from a preconceived notion that once I get saved, then I don't have to do anything with my salvation. Hmm. Once I get saved, I can put it in my back pocket and just live normal like whatever. That's not the case. That's right. When you get saved, salvation changes your life. Amen. It should change you. Scripture talks about that you are a new creation. Meaning that the old has passed away, all things have become new. That's you right. are no longer the same person. So if your salvation has not impacted your life in that way, there's something wrong. Salvation is not something to be attained and then put on the back burner or in, in your back pocket and then you just live however you want to live. Salvation changes your life, and sometimes it wrecks it. <laughs> but God puts it all back together in a great way. <laughs> um, but that's what happens. Salvation changes your life. But salvation should also mean that you're growing in your walk with the Lord. Hallelujah. It should also represent a change in that you are becoming more like Jesus, which is called sanctification. In other words, it means that as you walk through life, there's going to be this thing inside of you that is drawn to the Lord. It's almost like a craving, if you will, if I can try to describe it that way, where you'll try to find your peace or your satisfaction in other things, and it won't hit the spot. Mm. And that's your soul saying, I want the word. I want communion with God. Yes. That's, that's what salvation does is that it puts this desire in you to draw near to your heavenly father who's adopted you. So that's, that's what salvation does. So it's not something to think about in the sense of, well, once I get saved, I can just live however I want. No, salvation changes you and makes you more like Christ. Yes. And then we develop fruit. Then we grow in the spirit. Then we grow in what God has called us to do. That's what I've done. Amen. Amen. Bold, breathe biblical yeah <laughs> so, good. so good thank you pastor Nathan. um last question uh, for tonight pastor al um would love for you to close us out on this question what should be the biggest concern for the church today um uh, biggest concern 
um, I, I think is uh, is really the word of God. Mm. Staying true to God's word, uh, losing sight of God's word. Um, the Bible says you do not be conformed to the world. That word conform means be pressed into a mold, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And uh, before it says that, it says present yourselves uh, to the Lord as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service, the Bible says. And so uh, the most important thing today, I think, is, um, is, is to know the word of God. Um, there's, a, there's a famine in the land, the Bible says, um, and a famine not of, uh, of uh, food, but a famine of God's word. That's uh, uh, in God's word here. Um, in, in Amos, I believe it's the book of Amos. I forgot which reference it was. Forgive me. But Jesus said this in First John, or in John chapter 17, verse 18 and 19. He was praying to the Father, and he said, Father, sanctify them uh, by your truth. And then he said, your word is truth. And he said, just as you, you've sent me into the world among wolves, I'm going to send them into the world among wolves. So how can we be, how did, how is Jesus sustained and how are we sustained? And it's by the word of God. So if we're going to be able to make it in this, uh, in this world, if we're going to be able to stand up for Christ today, the greatest need the church has, the greatest threat to the church, I think, is, is uh, coming against the word of God. Even believers not believing God's word. But it's God's word that will sanctify us. It is the most important thing for us as believers is God's word. And Jesus prayed that, you know, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so I think God's word is, is the most vital thing uh, for the church today to, to, keep, to continue to uh, uh, take hold of and to allow it to sanctify us and to, to change us so that we can survive as sheep among wolves in the world. Amen. 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 Amen.